for all Rose can suck my balls Fuck your reply guys Please don't fuck your reply guys Just listen to reply guys Hello and welcome back to Reply Guys The leftist feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us I'm Julia Clare I'm Kate Willett and we're back. We are back. We have a great episode this week. Uh, we interviewed Brandy Jensen about a whole host of topics. It was really fun. It was probably, uh, yeah, it was one of our most like non-political interviews, I would yeah. say. Yeah. I mean, yeah, non-explicitly political. Yes. It's, not, it's non-partisan, yeah. maybe. But I we got know. to know Brandy, and she had some really great insights that were a pleasure, and we're excited to share them with you. She's so smart and cool, and you should follow her everywhere. All right, so our reply guy of the week. <laughs> what an idiot. What a true idiot. Um, He's a Canadian far-right podcaster. And uh, his Twitter bio is Peaceful Parent philosopher and host of free domain radio stefan molyneux uh and if you've ne- if you're not deeply on twitter as we are you might not know who he is and if you don't know who he is god bless you yeah and- he describes himself as a men's rights activist oh uh, why are there so okay i don't want to paint canadians with a broad brush um but why are there so many of his ilk that come out of Canada. Like, I feel like there's so many American men's rights activists too. No, but I feel like this particular brand, this is like of the Jordan Peterson, Jordan Gavin Peterson. McInnes. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, not a, hashtag, not all Canadians. Yeah. No, we have a great Canadian on the great, show later today. Canadian, she says, yeah. sorry during the interview and it's very endearing. We love her. Um, but yeah, this guy has 420,000 Twitter followers and he just tweets hot garbage about women. <laughs> all day and people he just lives to get ratioed yeah um so this week the uh the you know in a week of uh ice raids mass shootings um jeffrey epstein jeffrey epstein i mean all things that are just horrible sometimes we don't talk about everything sad on this show because we do want this show to be funny at yeah, times. At, at times, <laughs> yes. And sometimes when we think that, that there's better resources than us. Yeah. I mean, we, you're not Which gonna, there probably always is, honestly. We are two comedians. No, but like... No. The, honestly, you and I know more than anyone else on every subject that we talk about. So yes. don't even say that. Yeah. Um. No, it's like, yeah, y- everything that can be said has been said about Jeffrey Epstein. You don't need us to say anything about it. Or like even mass shooting. Like, obviously, sure. we need to fucking get rid of guns. Yeah. We need to have mental health care free free for everybody who needs it um but just also a massive government gun buyback program or something of its like of the like and uh yeah and the I, government should come to your house and take your guns yeah, absolutely that is what i want personally yeah I, you know when a lot of uh a lot of liberal politicians will preface their arguments with like i respect uh responsible gun owners and i don't want to take away your I guns fucking i don't. fucking want to take away your guns so anyway i i just said that because like you know sometimes in a week with so much tragic news you'll know we still sometimes talk about things that are silly and that's because well, we're trying to be entertaining yeah we and um, we also you know we we listen to this show ourselves and we don't want to listen to all the sad yeah. stuff sometimes but so anyways this dickhead this fucking asshole. Stefan Molino. Uh, this week, one hill that he wanted to die on uh, is that women should not wear lipstick. lipstick. Yeah, because it makes men too horny. I'll, uh, I'll read the tweet now. Yes. Lipstick realities. Red lips have been considered attractive in women in geographically and temporally diverse cultures, possibly because they mimic vasodilation associated with sexual arousal. I get it, ladies. You don't want to give up your power to manipulate men. Too bad. Well, th- so that wasn't even his first lipstick tweet this oh, week. Sorry. Like, so he had another one. Um, I think that that one was like him digging into yeah. his point of view. He is so strange. Him. Do you know that female lipstick stimulates sexual arousal? Can you imagine a man showing up for a business meeting with a giant artificial boner straining at his pants? I like how it's a 
artificial. artificial. <laughs> yeah, lipstick. You know, men, is, men constantly faking their boners. <laughs> yeah, lipstick is perfectly acceptable in the business world. Um, there, there's so much going on here. Like, I like how he, what he thinks, like, arouses women is just men walking around with a giant boner. Like, that that would be, like, what would turn us on or Ugh. whatever. Someone pointed out in his mentions that um, men actually wear ties it was kyle canane oh was it yeah um oh i thought it was a woman um but yeah the ties are meant to like have a visual line like an arrow pointing to your dick to your dick yeah um but that's apparently okay with him i don't know what the fuck it is with these people like i mean i'm sure a lot of it is just like trying to be incendiary for careerist reasons but like i mean it's so amazing to me that like you can live in this world and then be like, you know, has who has all the power is women. women. <laughs> because we like, that's the whole thing about like a lot of these like men's rights dudes is like, they're just like speaking to people who feel speaking to men who feel that women have all the power. Well, it's because, because it's because all these dudes think that women or any group that is not white men receiving any rights is an infringement on their rights that is definitely a huge part of it but another huge part of it is that because women in their perception like control access to sex or whatever because like i guess you know we wouldn't fuck anyone and everyone and (laughs) to them i would say you should see some of the people i've slept with you're just really gross dude really gross i know that's i i think about that with with incels a lot because yeah their whole thing is that like women are constantly trying to um like looks jump or something like have like basically mate with the with someone who's more attractive than them and i'm like have you ever seen a heterosexual couple (laughs) i do feel like our perspective is sometimes skewed because we are comedians like i was talking to a friend last night and i was just like yeah i hate how all these like freaking gross unemployed dudes like end up dating these beautiful women who just pay for everything for them and she's like, I've never heard of that before. And I realized that the only reason that that's, uh, that I think that that's the thing is because I am a female comedian, <laughs> a comedian, a comedian. Yeah. But I don't know. I did. It is a pet peeve of mine. Like these dudes who are like, yeah, like women have all the power in the world because they won't fuck me. <laughs> the central decision of our society to fuck me I or wish. not. I wish that were. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm scrolling through his tweets right now, and he tweets so much. He tweets so much. He's extremely online. He's more online than Brandy Jensen, absolutely. Who was our guest this week? Um, who was our honored guest? Yeah. And I don't think anybody is as online as this dude. Uh, he. I, I am scrolled f- so far down, and I am literally only to yesterday. That is. <laughs> how much this guy will not stop fucking shooting his mouth off. I, he really, yeah. I mean, a cornerstone of his, his, his worldview is just that women are, I think personally out to get him. <laughs> I, I mean, like, aren't we though now? I, I mean, I will say this about me. I am personally out to get him, uh, <laughs> because he's so dumb and I want, I want to deplatform dumb men. That is, that's me. Here's the thing that I've noticed with like the online misogynists is like a lot of these online misogynists have become obsessed with Epstein, um, which is a terrible story. Like, I mean, the Epstein case is one of the worst things that I have ever heard. Mm -hmm. But there's so many prominent misogynists that have really made this like a focus. And I don't know. Is that because they're like, well, this is what an actual predator looks like, ladies. If someone just sexually harasses two to nine people then that's fine i don't know that is i think that definitely is an obsession with um certain loud men of the right or maybe of all political ideologies but especially in the right it's like they want to believe that someone who is an actual predator is a jeffrey epstein or is like a stranger who rapes you in the park or something like that the thing last year like or two years ago used to be everyone saying well 
he's not harvey weinstein yeah exactly yeah like they're like sexual predators like that there's just they want to always kind of have an example to point to of someone who is the sexual predator one percent yeah exactly yeah (laughs) um yeah it's like they're like this person is who is really bad um as a way probably to excuse a lot of their own bad behavior (laughs) (laughs) all right this week a lot of big news um one thing that is relevant to uh, our leftist feminist podcast is that uh, Tiffany Caban conceded and this she was running for the district attorney in Queens. And um, this is a huge bummer for us. Mm-hmm. She was uh, running a very progressive campaign. She was endorsed by AOC, Bernie Sanders. Elizabeth DSA. Warren, yeah. DSA. Yeah, she was officially backed by DSA, right? Officially like, backed by DSA. She had hundreds all, of people canvassing her for her in DSA. All the progressive three-letter initialisms, she got them. Yeah. <laughs> AOC, DSA. <laughs> um, are there any more? I no. don't think so. Those, yeah. Okay. But um, yeah, so for listeners outside of new york who may not be familiar with this story um so uh she was running uh for the uh in the democratic primary for district attorney of queens she was running against someone named melinda katz who Mm -hmm. was the establishment candidate um and her platform was extremely progressive um prosecute ice agents who overstep their power um really a big focus on ending mass incarceration, decriminalizing sex work, decriminalizing marijuana. Uh, any other highlights? Um, yeah. I mean, it, the cornerstone of Tiffany's campaign was criminal justice reform in yes. like a really substantive way. And, you know, in a way that really reminded me of Larry Krasner, who is now the um, district attorney of Philadelphia um, and he was, um, you know, he he has a background uh, a lot like a lot like Tiffany. He was a he was a public defender. He, which is kind of unusual for for a DA. Uh, very often, it's prosecutors who um, become DAs. But um, this is what Larry said about this race. I actually met him a few years ago before before he won. Brag, uh, and he's so great. Um, he said. NYC is forever changed because a fearless 32-year-old fighter for true justice stepped up and accomplished the unthinkable. We're only seeing the beginning of what Caban for Queens is capable of. Grateful to know you, Tiffany. Um, yeah, I mean, she really, I I hope that if any, if any good can come from this really unfortunate loss, it's that, um, you know, Tiffany introduced a lot of concepts into the public sphere that I hope that you know, we hold Melinda Katz or not we, cause I'm not, I'm not in the Queens district, but the, uh, the constituents in Queens, uh, hold Melinda Katz accountable too. So this race was, it was fucked <laughs> it up. Was wild. So she, so, um, come on on election night won by more than 1100 votes. Yeah. Um, then as the absentee and affidavit ballots started coming in, um, it got a little closer and um there was a recount um and in the recount uh there were a lot of ballots for Kaban that were not able to be counted because they weren't filled out perfectly um like there was maybe a piece or two of missing information previous address uh missing party affiliation in the line where you're supposed to say like that you're a democrat or whatever and so um in terms of these small mistakes, the New York Senate and Assembly passed a bill in June that said that basically as long as everything was looking pretty much good, that ballots would not be thrown out for like tiny reasons. Um, Which is huge because, for, again, for those of you who don't live in New York... I have never encountered, I've only lived in a handful of states, but I've never encountered so many difficulties with voting as I have since I moved here. I had to vote by affidavit three or four times because my name was just not coming up on, I would go to my polling place and my name was not coming up. And then I realized somebody at the board of elections, when they process my registration, spelled my last name wrong. So because of that, my name was not showing up on the registration every time I would go 
they inverted two of the letters of my last name. So every time I would go, they'd be like, you're not listed here. You have to vote by affidavit. And I was like, are you, I don't know. It's just like, there's so many things that happen like that. And it's just, it's so difficult to vote in New York. So according to the New York Times, the failing New York Times, more than 2,300 of the roughly 2,800 affidavit ballots cast in the primary election last month were invalidated. So a lot. So, a lot. So this bill has been passed. Um, Cuomo hasn't signed it yet. Um, a lot of people think that that's him and the New York Democratic machine putting their finger on the scale for cats. Uh, it's not technically illegal what yeah. they've done. Um, they're not breaking the law because it's not a law yet. But you know, were all of these affidavit ballots counted, um, Caban would have won becoming one of those like would have won people i guess yeah. i don't know but i mean anyway it, it as, sucks as, I, as i've said i mean there are so many instances in which people have to vote by affidavit here yeah. because things get fucked up so easily yeah here. that's honestly new york has one of the lowest voter turnout rates of any state and part of that reason is because it's so difficult to vote here it's so un there's so much unnecessary red tape here it's i don't know for a state that is one of the most populous in the United States to have such a low voter turnout is absolutely inexcusable. And it's it's because they make it difficult. I also have found out some other really important news this week. Okay. All right. So um, possibly more upsetting than the last thing. Okay. Mayor Pete's husband. Jason? Does improv. Oh, I knew it. <laughs> I do not trust men who do improv. You know what? I didn't know that in my head, but boy, did I know that in my heart. Yeah. This <laughs> has got an improv vibe to it. He they're does. Just, they're the constantly yes-anding each they, other. Oh, my God. Yeah, their, tw their tweets at one another are uh, a lot. Yeah. I mean, they're, I guess it's... I don't know. Yeah, I don't and know. I just want to make it like 100% clear. Like, I think it's fucking awesome that like anybody in the lgbt community like has made it to this level yes and i think it's really important that people are like standing a celebrity same-sex relationship totally. i just don't like improv or mayor pete <laughs> <laughs> i really just don't we like are it. on this podcast yeah. we are pro lgbt we are anti-improv <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> that those are our politics that is our feminism yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right we need to jump into the next segment of our podcast um, we're so excited about it it's so it's so good we're uh again we've just been uh just sinking nonstop free throws of great guests and um i'm sorry that i just did a sports metaphor um but sexist. yeah that was Very really sexist. that was really sexist of me i'm really sorry um it must be my all meat diet that I just started. Cancel um, Julia. <laughs> I canceled myself multiple times on this episode, which is fun. But um, yeah, we're so excited to have her. Um, and here is our interview with the outlines, Brandy Jensen. We are so excited today to be joined by uh, one of the editors of The Outline, which is such a great publication, and she has a, a great advice column called Ask a Fuck Up, Everybody. It's Brandy Jansen. Hi. One of my favorite follows on Twitter. Just, I mean, again, yeah, this is a, this is a very online uh, group that we have. I think you might be, I think, Brandy, you might be the only person I know who is more online than me. Uh, fuck you. <laughs> I I did you the favor of coming on your podcast only to be insulted to my face immediately. How dare you? Hey, uh, I it's knew true. I am pathologically online. It's a problem. I knew to be embarrassed to ask you to be on my podcast. <laughs> I said, "Hey, I prefaced it with this is an embarrassing question." No, Will you be no, on my it's podcast? not at all. It's not at all. I'm I'm thrilled to be here. Welcome to Reply, guys. Um, we were going to talk about this at the top of the show, but. Um, we realize that Brandy has something to say about this as well. Um, so this week, I this has happened to me a few times. I was recognized on Tinder from Twitter, and it was terrible. Um, and it always is. I have it's happened to me a few times. And Brandy, you've said it's happened to you, Kate. It's happened to you as well. 
Brandy, what is your experience with this horrible phenomenon? Um, so <laughs> the reason why I ended up deleting my Tinder last time, time before last, I don't know. There's just like my in the, you, the land before time and redownload. Um, so I uh, am a giant whore. And I decided that uh, I uh, was going to like, you know, uh, bump up my self-esteem. I was looking on uh, Tinder to just like have a threesome. Hell yeah. With a hot couple. Yeah. Um, so I decided to, you know, uh, start looking for cute couples, found a few, um, one of whom when I messaged or they messaged me, um, they were like, you know, my my partner and I are just both such big fans of your work, by which they meant my Twitter. And I was like, okay, no, I'm not. I'm done. This is it for me. I'm never, not only am I uh, quitting Tinder, I'm not having sex again ever in my life. That that sounds um, like, that sounds great to me. <laughs> not having sex ever again? Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, we all know I'm extremely sex negative, And uh, that's the voice that I bring to the show. I'm often billed as a sex positive comedian, but I know, I've seen that before. That's I think what does I've, that mean? I I think it mean, I don't know what it means, but I think that a more accurate description of me is a, a sex maybe comedian. <laughs> I mean, I think we should all be like kind of sex humiliated. Like yeah. I don't want to. I'm not. I'm neither positive nor negative. I'm kind of anxious about it, and I feel an appropriate level of shame. Thank you. Because I sex know. is an embarrassing. It's thing. so embarrassing. I don't think sex. I think sex positive is like not shaming others for their sexual activities. Okay, but even that, I feel like some people should be <laughs> maybe a little more shamed. Just like just absolutely a, just a little bit. I thought about that. I thought about this. I mean, it, it's going to be in my forthcoming book in defense of shame. And <laughs> I think that uh, you are going to be canceled for these sex negative opinions. One hundred percent, and I'm ready I'm, for I'm it. I'm fine. I'll die. I'll I'll be canceled on that hill oh with you. Oh my god. Okay. Okay. That's that's completely fine. Wow, more people you're should numbered. More people should be ashamed. And in fact, uh, you know, murdering Epstein was a win for sex negativity. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I I do just want to quickly say what this guy said to me. And unfortunately, this guy who recognized me from uh, Twitter was hot, which is not okay. Um, he. It's weird because I responded to him and I was just like, because he responded to some a joke that I made. And I was like, oh, yeah, I get it. You follow me on, on Twitter. And then he didn't, he clearly didn't expect me to respond. And I said that to him. I was like, I feel like you didn't expect me to respond. I'm so sorry to disappoint. And he said, I, yeah, totally. I expected a screenshot and unmatch. I was like, what's your deal? What kind of sick shit are you into? So anyway. is his thing like being uh, embarrassed online yeah, by women? Which I because I swear that is that is uh, something that I have often thought about yeah. when I get these like just really aggressively bad DMs, and I'm like, oh, you you want me to like screen cap this yeah. and make fun of you, and then you're gonna go jerk off about it. <laughs> And I don't feel like I need to be involved in what that. What a bad boy. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, if he's listening, you're hot, but you're so weird. Go away. <laughs> That's it. That's all I have to say about that. Yeah. I had a guy that I went on a first date with last weekend. Immediately after the date, he went to my Twitter and found a tweet that I had tweeted about my dead brother. Um, I tweeted it in the context of supporting Medicare for all. I was talking about yes. my family's struggle with insurance and oh, so this he, was very recent. My brother passed away ten years ago. No, no, no I know, but your yeah. but your tweet was yeah, my tweet. This was like last week. Okay, yeah, and uh, he sent me this text with my tweet right after the date and was like, "You can talk to me about this." <gasps> yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was He's really fucked up. Fuck? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was oh just my like, God. Wow. I know, like, sometimes I will say things about my personal life, uh, but that doesn't mean that I don't have any boundaries about it. That's, I don't know. It's a weird thing. That's so weird. That's why every time I meet a guy who's like, yeah, I don't have a Twitter, I'm like, wow, do you want to get married? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't I, want I you mean, to my know. My current uh, boyfriend is on 
Twitter, but like we met originally from Twitter. So that is the ultimate love story. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like, yeah, either you uh, need to meet on Twitter or you uh, can begin following each other after your wedding. Yes. That and wow. like one or the other. There's no no in between. All right. So, Brandy, I've been reading your advice column, Ask a Fuck Up. Thank you. I um, love it. <laughs> it's so good. How did you come to write this advice column? Um, it started as a Twitter joke. <laughs> <laughs> I literally I just thought it was funny. I I tweeted uh somebody should give me an advice column called Ask a Fuck Up, uh, based on the the premise that like I have never made a smart decision in my life and maybe somebody else can learn from me. Um, and then my boss at the outline was like, okay, but we're going to do this. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, which was nice. Um, and then I didn't really think that it was going to go anywhere. I, I assumed that I would get a lot of questions about like, like being online or, you know, like how, how can I be like respectfully horny in the DMs or something? <laughs> Um, and I will admit, I like I was very surprised and um, quite moved by the fact that I, you know, almost immediately started getting and still to this day, uh, receive a lot of very like heartfelt questions from people who, um, you know, really just like would like some insight on something. And so that's been an, a pleasant surprise. There's been yeah, there's a lot of like really kind of deep and thoughtful expansions on these like very personal issues that's what yeah, I always, i'm always kind of amazed yeah. that people i'm like me you want yeah. me to tell you what to do about this situation okay get out of here you're very good at it and it's i know it's a, it's it's a great column you do have you have so much great advice i don't know i i've i've read i've read them all uh bless you one of the ones that i really enjoyed recently was um tell me if i'm missing anything important from the summary here but someone wrote a letter um, about the fact that they didn't feel good being friends with someone that had rejected them. And then I think you told them it's okay to not be friends. Yeah. We don't have to keep everybody in our life. And for me, it was like a big relief to like hear someone express that point of view because I often have the experience where I'll go on a few dates with someone and they're like, do you want to be, you know, that we, it doesn't work out. And they're like, can we be friends? And I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I already kind of like have a lot of friends. And they're like, wow, wow. So if you're not sleeping with me, you don't want to be friends? And I'm like, yeah, I, I guess so. But that's not because I'm like using them. That's just because like sometimes you want a relationship with a person in one context and the other context doesn't feel like the right relationship to have with that person, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, the the friend zone is like kind of a made up thing that um, a lot of uh, trollish MRA dudes uh used to um disparage women but also it's a real fucking place and i've lived there yeah <laughs> before totally um and yeah i've caused myself a lot of um unnecessary uh stress and anxiety by thinking that i was somehow failing to like reach a level of emotional maturity that would let me be friends with somebody who i just never had any interest in being friends with yeah there's a level of dishonesty um, about yes it. and so you're lying to this other person you're lying to yourself and it's just never going to be i mean you know can can um feelings change and evolve over time sure and you know maybe a little bit down the road you can be friends with that person but this like demands that we all just kind of um, sublimate whatever desires we might have and like all stay friends is just maddening to me same with exes I don't think you need to stay friends with your exes <laughs> 100% I think it's crazy when people are determined when it's not an organic situation when people are just like it is my goal to stay friends with all of my exes I'm like why why would you do that to yourself it depends on the relationship. Absolutely. It's like you can't have that as like a categorical view that like you ha like there are, I've literally heard um, some friends say I have to be friends with all of my exes. I used to have a joke about this because it's a personality disorder. I, I mean, think. that's yeah, that's the sign of somebody just desperately needing to think of themselves as a good person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's one of those people. It's a like, red flag. Yeah. You need everyone to like you. Exhausting. No. There was another letter recently that is, I think, a little more serious um, that also I, I had a lot of feelings about. So there was a woman that wrote in and she had a male friend that she had heard through like a friend of a friend of a friend had sexually assaulted someone a long time ago. And then she stopped talking to him and she was wondering 
if she should let him know why. Did I summarize that correctly? Yes. So she, um, yeah, heard from like a friend of a friend, whatever, uh, that her very close um, male friend, I think she described him as her best friend, had raped somebody in high school. Um, And so she immediately cut off all contact, but then also was sort of had this very odd justification for it. This thing that struck me that I'd never heard before, which is that the reason why she hadn't like she clearly said that she can't talk to him about it because doing so would be to like betray the confidence of this victim, this high school victim from high school whose story like she didn't have license to tell which was just a really like I never heard that before. And it struck me as a very odd justification for not talking to your friend about if they had, in fact, raped someone in high school. Yeah. I mean, I thought your response to this was so measured and as I mean, as logical as uh, as it can be, like if, if this is someone who is allegedly your best friend and you've spent like eight years with them you can't to me the idea of just immediately cutting off all contact with them not even talking to them about it um not even to like quote get their side of the story or anything like that but just to like this is a huge piece of information about this person well and i mean if we're you know uh if we are to use uh social opprobrium as a sort of uh way of like uh, policing behavior right you can't like you have to let somebody know that they yes. uh, that the consequences of this action is that they are losing their friendships yeah um if they just if people just stop talking to them and they have no idea why then you know you're not really like connecting those totally. two things absolutely um so it's not even like accomplishing the goal that you think you're accomplishing i don't know i mean um you know i work in media uh you guys both are comedians and so i'm sure all of us have experiences with you know it turns out that uh, a, a man in our life is bad never not, no, never it, in my life i do have experience with that yeah. and i don't know i there's part of me that doesn't always know how to handle those situations i mean i had a friend that told me he did something creepy to someone it was not rape but it was definitely creepy and uh we talked about it and i was not i didn't mince words with him like i told him that i thought that it fucking sucked what he did and that he needed to like get himself together and he did like he ended up i think really putting a lot of work into therapy and got sober and like i don't know i feel like the fact that he had friends in his life that were willing to take him to task and demand that he be better in this way actually led to someone being a better human than if his friends had all like been like fuck you i'm not talking to you anymore so i don't know like there's but but i can also see the side of like i mean i can also see from her side like why are people staying friends with this person so i just i don't always know what's the way to go well i mean the demands are often very unclear right if you um i you know when when there's this kind of like in the case of the letter this like hypothetical victim to use like what you think you owe to this person as a justification for your action strikes me as as bizarre right you don't know what it is that she would want yeah. from you yeah um if you know i have i have been in the situation where um i was kind of friends with both parties and the aggrieved party said you know i would out of like uh loyalty to me or you know i i I feel uncomfortable knowing that you're still friends with this person. That's like a clear demand that I am happy to meet. And yeah, so like I, now now that I know that makes complete you sense. know, there are sometimes sides to take and I'm taking yours. Um, but I've also had situations where, yes, I have, you know, had to have some like difficult conversations about um somebody's behavior and and what about it um I found uh you know loathsome sometimes and yeah that did lead to like i would like to think um so like somebody becoming a little bit better i don't know that um complete complete social isolation is really like a f- an effective way of especially um, with no explanation yeah well with no explanation is just bizarre yeah but also there does seem to be um i think culturally uh, a sort of undue burden on women yes. to be the ones who yeah. yes absolutely who have to monitor this right and it's like okay are you are you know are you equally asking all of their male friends to take some sort of 
stance or or some sort of action or is this something that you are that because I'm a woman you think that I am like failing as a feminist if I don't incorporate these kind of decisions into my interpersonal relationships I think about this all the time and I think it's you know Kate you you kept referring to the fact that you don't you didn't know how to handle this and it's because this is not something anybody ever teaches you how to handle yeah um but also I found that in the wake of the me too movement um any woman who is even tangentially connected to one of these men who has been canceled for lack of a better word that's they get so many questions in interviews about that i will never like tig yeah with like tig um also i was um, li- when uh, Greta Gerwig was doing the press tour for Lady Bird, um, this is the example I use all the time. Terry Gross on Fresh Air asked her about her partner, Noah Bombach, working with Dustin Hoffman, who had been accused of like inappropriate. Re- like, what? it was so far removed. And she was just like, I'm Six sorry. degrees yeah. of Kevin Bacon, but yeah. for <laughs> sexual assault. Yeah, she was just like, What? I didn't work on that movie. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's people just constantly want to make a woman the fall guy for a man's behavior in some way, I think. But I don't know. It is. It's really frustrating. It's yeah. And and even even the fact that that I mean, I don't know what if that guy had like made that same confession that he made to you to his male friends. But it like there is something about that. And I don't know the situation at all. But there is something about that that strikes me of like seeking absolution from your female friends that is like a little weird. I think that culturally and societally, it's not going to change enough until men take on more of the responsibility and i'm not just talking about the men who behave badly themselves i'm talking about like their male friends and stuff like that um brandy i don't want to do this to you but i am going to read one of your tweets to you that i really (laughs) like (laughs) i'm so sorry to do this that's okay but i literally and this is um this is a, a weird confession but before you and I were friends, you tweeted this a few years ago, and I like literally sent this. This is the first tweet that I ever sent to myself as a way to save it. <laughs> um, I, I'm honored. Thank you so much. I'm very embarrassed, uh, but it is that good. Um, so this is from November 1st, 2017. You said, I'm increasingly interested in how we reconcile ideas of forgiveness with our modern condition of mistakes existing in perpetuity. And I always... I think of that all the time because there is this unique sickness of the digital age with everything that we do more or less is documented in ink permanently um, in a certain way. And I just kind of like want to revisit that. It's been a while since, since you said that. And I just wanted to know if where you've fallen on this um if if you've kind of like come to any more kind of like solid conclusions about it one way or the other uh no <laughs> so I, I still i still don't i still don't know i think that's yeah. um yeah i uh i think that what had inspired me to tweet that was that people were like once again canceling matt taibbi over <laughs> This the uh, book that he and Mark Ames wrote. What or, was the book? So they or they wrote a book that was based on their um, like columns uh, when they were in Russia, and there was like the book outlines perhaps you know fictionally. I'm not entirely sure. I haven't read it, but the book outlines some like you know pretty um, terrible behavior towards women and like some women interns that they worked with or something. I can't remember, but um, this like excerpts from this book have been like rediscovered and circulated like once a year, every year people are like, Oh my God, did you know this? And so it becomes this thing where everybody is learning, like it's happening for the first time um, that, you know, we need to talk about Matt Taibbi. And I think he did end up, he has like addressed um, the, that, that particular situation. Um, I can't like, it's just it's another example of not only do do the like mistakes that we make kind of um, exist forever in ways that we've documented, but also people just keep discovering them as though they've just happened. Yes. 
Um, and that's what's fascinating to me because this is like a very old scandal. Right. Um, but each time somebody unearths it, it feels urgent or new and like it's just happened. And so I don't know how you necessarily um, can like come to any sort of resolution or move on from something that is always always being unearthed as though it happened yesterday. I think we see this all the time in comedy. Anytime someone gets like a big job, like a big hosting gig or something like that, or um, become a writer on a TV show or something like that, people, it's almost like truly immediately as soon as it's announced, people go to that person's Twitter as far back as they can to try to, to try to find the bad ones, to find an unwoke thing to cancel this person for. And it just seems really counterproductive to me. It doesn't seem like it's making anyone better as a person. It just, it's not allowing anyone to evolve. And to your point, like even, even if you've addressed it as, as a lot of times happens, people do publicly apologize. They have like a very thoughtful response about it or something like that, but it's almost like it doesn't matter because the thing that is wrong is more important to people than someone evolving or being truly contrite about about something. And again, I just think that that like, who is that helping? I don't think we've seen a ton of examples of people being truly contrite. Yeah. That's like, maybe less. I, I think the, you know I think the one, right. the one that I've seen, the the best one that I've seen, um, was Dan Harmon. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he just fully admitted and took responsibility for harassing a woman that worked with him. And, um, kind of put it all out there and apologized to her and owned up to what he did. And I think this American life had a they segment did, on yeah. it, but it was really good. And I think that like what felt really different about that is like, he was, he wasn't equivocating at all. He was just like, I did this thing. Like he was willing to accept whatever consequences might come, you know, whereas I think like, and even in that Jane Mayer piece about Al Franken, it was just, it still had the tone of like, uh, yeah, I didn't really, do stuff that was that bad and it was like just still making a lot of excuses for it for sure. it was an incredibly defensive posture oh my exactly gosh. Yeah. yeah it was again i i love jane mayer and i just thought it was such an egregious waste of her talent to defend al franken but to your point i think it's like we haven't seen a lot of examples of that in terms of specifically um men who have behaved badly towards women um that is true but i'm talking about just like jokes on Twitter, like unwoke jokes on Twitter. Like I have seen people being, being like, I made this joke. It was thoughtless. Like I'm sorry. And it, but it doesn't matter. I think Dan Harmon is probably the only person who I think has had like a sufficient apology for harassing a woman. But yeah, I mean, I don't think that we've really like, um, cultivated a, a process by which people can like effectively, apologize for these things right like it is oftentimes um sort of smarter to just say nothing or to pretend like it's not happening because then you get this like you know um take cycle of they you know they've done something wrong they apologize the apology wasn't sufficient now we have to do like uh, now we have to talk about all of the ways that the apology didn't work. And the then, Lena uh, Dunham effect. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you end up you know what 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 sometimes does often read like these very like cynical bad faith sorts of like trying to catch people out yeah um for something that they tweeted yeah you know five six seven years ago um turns into something that is like much bigger um and so sometimes it does seem like from a just from like a crisis pr standpoint (laughs) uh better to just pretend it never happened yeah which i don't know what that does to like you know what if you really are sorry what if we what if there's something that could be learned from this situation totally i mean i truly have so few of the same and maybe this is just me because I've had such a like an evolution over the years, but like I'm I'm 28 now, and if you dug up stuff that I said 10 years ago, I probably don't agree with any of it. I don't know. It's like it's such a weird. Want to get finger bangs at the mall? <laughs> <laughs> I am I am grateful every day that I was uh, not. Uh, online really at all in my teens and through most of my 20s because yeah god i was a fucking moron i don't even and i was so confident (laughs) well that's the thing that's we we all are it's like it's a statistical phenomenon that 
when a lot of times when we don't know things, we're extremely confident about it. And there was a piece in the New Yorker this week called how social media shapes our identity. And it's kind of talking exactly about this, about how like we don't know what effect it's going to have for kids who like, especially Gen Z kids who have only ever had their lives documented. It can't be good. It can't be good. I don't, yeah. No. I don't know what, what sort of effect it's going to have, someone but I assume a negative one. Someone in this article said that uh, there was like a statistic that British parents post an average of 200 pictures of their kids per year. <gasps> oh my God. Per Isn't year. Horrifying. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, I, I just think it's weird when people, post a ton of i mean god bless everyone do what they want to do but it's like there's no concept of privacy anymore at all and you can't even like opt into it because you're like in in that case you're a baby (laughs) you know when you're a baby uh i don't know but it's like yeah um but i feel like we definitely know people who posted as babies yeah (laughs) they just live to post there's this condition called hyperthymesia or it's also abbreviated as hsam and there's only like 60 people in the world who have confirmed hsam and it's essentially this condition where you remember almost everything about your life in vivid detail like these are people who you can ask them in where you live what was the weather like on march 23rd 2006 and they can tell you See, I have that, but specifically for situations in which I've embarrassed myself. Yes. yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Just every Those will never every die. time I've like mispronounced a word <laughs> oh. in front of someone smart. Oh my gosh. I could I could tell you, yeah, what I was wearing. Absolutely. <laughs> Who the president was. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. But it's this they've also talked about this on this American life. This podcast is not a plug for this American life, but it is good. Um, (laughs) American, this American life is neoliberal. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, H Sam is, yeah, I've listened to a lot of interviews with people with, with H Sam. And it is this thing where they like, they can't move on from things in their life because they remember everything so vividly. Like this one woman, her husband died like over 10 years ago. And she said she is like stuck in that day. Jesus. And I kind of feel like there is a part of our lives existing in ink on the internet that is kind of like that. Like we're constantly being reminded, you know, we get these like reminders on Facebook or whatever. If you're unlucky enough to still be on Facebook, it's like you said this five years ago today and you're like, yikes. Um, But it's, yeah, it's, we're constantly being reminded of our of our past selves in a way that i think doesn't allow us to evolve properly i don't know i think there is and this is something that again that simone norman talked about on twitter about like quote woke posturing on the left and how everyone wants to kind of present as like ideologically pure and like we've always had these opinions but yeah i've certainly I've seen a lot of a lot of people get mad. Yeah, I mean, people yell at me because they th- think that an advice column is neoliberal. So. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah. I saw that. That was so insane, though. Uh, I, but I, I do think to your to your point about like sort of the uh, the like grace that comes with forgetting. Yeah. Um, I think the problem isn't even necessarily that we are. Um, reminded of past selves is that we are we're put into into a position where we have to defend them. Yes, and so even if you are like even if your first instinct is to disavow something and be like, oh my god, I was an idiot. Like I don't believe that now. I can't believe I ever did. Um, when you have this like defensive posture of okay, if I don't defend this somehow, then like you know it's over for me. Um, people are are have this kind of bone deep fear of being wrong yes um and i don't think that that is particularly like culturally healthy <laughs> right and i think that it's it's holding someone to a standard of if you said this 10 years ago this is what you currently believe yeah and i don't know how that helps <laughs> anything but unless you still agree with like you i sh- don't believe things that i thought three days ago <laughs> same yeah, no, i just yeah. same. I, I feel that way all the time and there's part of me that feels very like anxious about about that. And I think like I think a lot I, of us feel that. Yeah, there's I mean, I know some of the things that I've thought in the past have been incorrect, 
you know? And I think that anybody who doesn't think that about some of their previous beliefs is probably a sociopath. Yeah. But there's like a freedom that comes with being like sociopathic where you're just like, I'm just going to say everything I think and, and not having that like doubt of like, mm-hmm. oh, am I going to maybe change my mind about this? Well, I mean, if you just sort of like retcon everything from the starting position that you are right and you have always been right and you have never been capable of being wrong, then, yeah. you know, you can like, you can do a bunch of mental gymnastics to, to justify any kind of position. Um, I am, I am very rarely right. My whole column is based on the idea that like, I've been wrong so, so many times and continue to be. Um, and yeah, maybe that's like, maybe that circles back to the idea that people should feel slightly more ashamed of themselves sometimes, or at least slightly more ashamed of like some of the (laughs) dumb fuck positions they have held. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for bringing that full circle. Um, No, I, I, I totally agree. And I think that the only posture that we should be inhabiting is that like, yeah, this is what I believe now, but I could be wrong and I've been wrong before. Like I, how are any of us supposed to, like your ideas should be kind of like evolving and changing over the course of your life. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that it is um, probably, you know, much of, much of the work of like being a person is trying to like hone finer, um, I think moral and intellectual instincts, mm -hmm. which is not to say that you are always going to get it right on the first try. Yeah. Right. But you really, I think that there is a way that as you, particularly as you get older and you know, you are supposed to learn from, uh, the ways in which you were wrong and, and try to like avoid making the same mistakes over and over. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, the idea that, uh, what I believed last year, um, is virtuous, uh, just because I happen to believe it. <laughs> yeah. This <laughs> is not really, I think a, a tenable position for anybody to have. Have you ever gotten a letter from someone that was just like, too wrong that you're like i don't even know what to say to this person they're so on the wrong track um yeah certainly yeah i mean i think probably uh the letters that i tend to um just kind of like file away i do i will sometimes reply to people even if i can't publish the letter if i feel like this is somebody who like needs help or just wants somebody to say like it's okay yeah um occasionally there are just some like weirdly rambling ones that i'm like oh i don't even know if you if this is a real question um i don't i mean i will say i i like sort of uh get a little thrill when somebody uh writes me wanting me to tell them that they are correct and good and and but actually they're they're like the asshole in this situation that's a that's an advice columnist dream when that happens love it (laughs) <laughs> yeah i i think the column that you wrote to the person who said that they slept with their best friend's boyfriend oh yeah that was a that was a fun one uh <laughs> because you were just like yikes <laughs> i mean you know honestly it's like, just like else, yeah that's that's fucked up yeah you d- yeah what else can you say to that um yeah you're just gonna have to feel bad about that i know sorry and I think, <laughs> yeah i think sometimes we we furiously google search and try to find a way to like, like one weird trick yeah <laughs> one weird to not trick. suffer from guilt <laughs> i i i think that has made like not necessarily an advice column but like i think lately when i have been thinking over situations in my life like especially stuff that i used to like write a lot of comedy about or whatever like whatever guy being a douche or something like that um in funny ways like as i have grown up more and matured i have started to have an additional level of self-awareness about the ways that i may have also been an asshole in those situations and comedy was easier before i had any (laughs) level of self-awareness that i was also creating the mess yeah well i think good comedians are constantly like reevaluating their beliefs and stuff like that and all of us i would hope are embarrassed by some of the jokes that we wrote when we first started. If you're not like what, what is your most problematic joke? Oh boy. Um, my most problematic. I think, I think they probably never got past like an open mic because they were like bad. It was like my first year of comedy. And I think I, Oh, I wrote, I I think I wrote a joke about how, yeah, it was definitely my first like five months. And I wrote a joke about how there is, um, one time there was a Lyft driver who like I got in the car and immediately put on like 
what I thought was like the whitest music the driver could think of. And I just, and I wrote the joke from the perspective of like, I was racially profiled or something like that. Oof. And it was, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's bad. Um, and Kate, I'll ask you to go next. So I'm not here by myself, but yeah, no, it literally never got past an open mic because everyone was like, yikes. <laughs> and now of course I'm very embarrassed by that. And I would never, you know, that was five years ago. I would never, I would never write anything like, but yeah, I don't know. Um, I said the R word in a joke once. Okay. Yeah. I, I took it out. I had a friend call me back in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 That that word still goes around in, in comedy. People, some people are, that's the hill that they want to die on is that, that word is fine to say. I don't know. It's a weird hill to die on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I have um, resigned myself to like, okay, at some point I am going to be like that kind of like crusty old person who's getting canceled because, uh, you know, I uh, will still say things like, oh, that's insane. And which apparently is, you know, I and I do. I understand how that can you know, I technically know. that's like ableist language, but then I'm like, also I have uh, mental health issues, so I'm I allowed to use it all the time. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'll say stuff that is crazy um, pretty regularly. I do yeah. too. I say I, and I know, like, some, one of my friends is one of the hosts of the Bechtel cast, and they recently got like dragged by this one guy on Twitter who like wrote a multi-tweet, like being like, I'm unsubscribing, like because um one of them said psychotic or something like that. And I was just like, is this, I don't know. I get it. Look, here's the thing. This is something that I can tell you right now. I know that I'm kind of wrong about. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Is this is like, I really, I, I, it, the argument, uh, I like for finding other words to use is persuasive sure. and correct. I'm also just going to be a bit of a dick about this one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I think about the R word a lot because <laughs> I just want to cut out just Julia saying I think about the R word a lot. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I sure do. No, I'm from I'm from Boston, and if that word ever comes roaring back, boy, will Boston be the first to know? <laughs> I think that just feels there's something that feels so like antiquated about like what like it is. No, I thought we made this call like in the nineties. No, in the nineties, sure. yes. No, no, no. Like, I, how is this a conversation we're still having? I don't. I personally don't really know anyone who still uses it, but I do see it in tweets from like more quote unquote edgy comedians still, um, which I was like, wow, there's, there's saying it on stage and then there's putting it on the, I don't know. It's, I was going to say it's crazy, but (laughs) I feel like, okay, here's, here's where I fall on crazy. One, I do have mental health issues, so I feel allowed to say it Two. I think both crazy and insane have become like their definitions have expanded so much that they don't just mean one thing. I mean, that sure, is exactly but that's the what defense people of the R word. Call, that's also the defense of calling everything gay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Again, wait, wait, but is but is that because I feel like calling things gay was specifically. You know, I like you know? I remember I remember like in the early 2000s when people used to just say gay all the time. And I like had a conversation with a friend about it because I was gay at that point. Another story. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, he would just be like, I'm not saying it gay to mean anything that has to do with homosexuality. I just mean it's that it's bad. stupid. It's just, <laughs> it just yeah. means stupid now. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's just a problem. Stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I mean. I think I I agree with you, about, but I think, look. I, I get know. the instinct to be like, this one is different it because is different. I want to use it. I want to use sorry, it. Just, no, like, I mean, it was, sometimes you just gotta own like, okay, I'm like, just gonna use you know, it because I want to like pontificate about it and be like, language is elastic. Yeah, <laughs> I like how we suddenly all are like linguists when it yeah. comes to the actually the etymology of that word. Um, yeah. <laughs> Brandy, uh, we have one final question for you. Um, this podcast is called Reply Guys. Is there a reply guy that really stands out to you? Yours <laughs> or someone else's? Um, 
Uh, I mean, I don't see the replies from my reply guys because I only get notifications from people that I follow. Oh, so cool. I, that's, that's oh my god, that's the only way to live. That's a hack. I highly that. recommend it. It'll change your life for the better. You got to do it that way. It once that functionality once broke down for like a day, and I couldn't <laughs> use Twitter. Um, is there? Is there? A, I don't know. I feel like. Um, we should all try to be reply guys and gals for each other. That's mutual aid. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I love that. That's, that's the, the, we are the world yes. of <laughs> the digital age. <laughs> um, Brandy, where can our listeners find you? Uh, they can find me, uh, on Twitter where, as you have pointed out, <laughs> I always, that was there. not a drag. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, they can find me, uh, online at Brandy L. Jensen. Um, or writing uh, Ask a Fuck Up at the outline. It's so good. You got to read them all. They're so fun. And I mean, they're not just fun. They're insightful. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to Reply Guys. The show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at OJuliaTweets, which is O-H Julia Tweets. And Twitter is where you can also find our Reply Guys. They are always with us. Bernie? Take us out. As I went walking that ribbon of highway, I saw above me that endless skyway. I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is yours.